Hi there, and welcome to another Careers in Health podcast. My name's Todd Fraser. Joining me today is Dr. Rob Bevan. Rob is a senior intensivist at Middlemore Hospital in Auckland, New Zealand. Rob is dual trained in general medicine and intensive care and is the supervisor of intensive care training at Middlemore, as well as the current vice president of the Australian New Zealand College of Intensive Care Medicine. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Todd. It's a pleasure to join you. Rob, you um, have been working in intensive care for a number of years now. What was it that first drew your attention to the specialty? Well, like many, I um, discovered intensive care medicine a little bit late and in a convoluted way. Um, I rotated in as part of my general medical training when I was an SHO back in Birmingham in the UK. And then after moving to New Zealand, I, um, an opportunity came up again to do an ICU post as part of my medical training um, as the RACP wanted me to go back and do, do more time, as, as often happens to, to doctors that move overseas. And um, it was just really a, a, an aha moment. I, I just I loved it. There was such a, there's such a variety now, I know general medicine is not short of variety, but there was just an explosion between all the, the, the surgical stuff. And I, just, I was just in awe of knowledge and skills that I saw from my, um, from my supervisors, from the intensive care specialists. Um, and it was really broad, but it was also practical. These were, these were people that could do things. And the other thing that really struck me was that intensive care medicine is a team game. The, the, the nurses on the intensive care were, were really driven. They were well, they, they knew what was going on. They were part of the team. That It was just, it was a, it was a transformational experience, to, to, to tell you the truth. And I just realized that at that stage, I was, I was hooked. And then in a bit of dilemma, do I do intensive care or do I do medicine? And I thought, well, you actually can do both. And over here in New Zealand, it's um, eight out of 10 cats will, will dual train. I know it's less so in Australia, but it's still a thing. So that's what really got me interested, and I asked the the right people the right questions, and and um, eventually got into the to the trainal program. But over and above that, there was a very personal story. I saw that intensive care adds a lot of value to people's lives, and just as I was midway through the run, my 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 mother became critically unwell in the UK and developed severe multi organ failure, um, and the intensive care team dragged her back from from the brink of death. And she survived and she survived against the odds, obtained a quality of life that I would say was arguably better than before. And that was 14, maybe 15, 16 years ago now. Um, and she's still thankfully um, alive, well, happy, saw us get married and has been to New Zealand. So I just saw this huge, we're not at the bottom of the cliff all the time and that we're not just dealing with people with end stage chronic diseases. We, we put people back into the community to live long and productive lives. And I, I, I love that. That's why we sign up to be doctors, I think. Rob, what is it that you actually do? So many uh, medical students and junior doctors, as you mentioned earlier, have not had much exposure to intensive care. What does an intensivist do on a daily basis? Oh, it's, a, it's a huge mystery, isn't it? And my wife would say it remains a mystery. Um, but I think practically there's you'd split your working time into clinical and non-clinical time. And I suppose we could talk about the non-clinical stuff later. But in terms of what do you do clinically, you, you, you oversee the sickest patients in the hospital. And there's some nuances between Australia and New Zealand 
there's some nuances between big, big inner city hospitals and more regional hospitals. But broadly speaking, you oversee the sickest patients in the hospital. For the, for the working day, you have a cohort of patients in your intensive care, some of which are going to be elective patients, some of which are going to be patients who have arrived in the hospital as an emergency. There are going to be patients that have a brief stay in the unit from something that is potentially pretty straightforward to sort out. They get better, they go, they go on their merry way. And then you have patients who have a very prolonged and protracted intensive care and hospital stay from very complex multi-system issues which crop up and require the expertise of other people. And I think that variety really does keep you going and keeps you, keeps you grounded. There is, of course, an overlap with, for example, emergency medicine for the emergent resuscitation of acutely sick people. So, you know, we do, we do have that. But I'd say our expertise as intensive care specialists is in that complex long-stay patient, which is where that really does sort of where I think we add value. So during the day, what, what do we do? Well, we have our own expertise. We, we you get to know about the management of, of airways, but you know, there's, there are other specialties which are involved with that. Pain, delirium. You know, we know how to ventilate patients. Um, we we learn the nuances of that. We we dabble in some renal replacement therapy, some some feeding, um, TPN. We get pretty good at procedures. Um, we get to play. We get to use pretty advanced technology which is changing at all times but I think really as I've gone through this specialty I've realized that in a, over and above all of that we are really somewhere between brokers of care and coordinators of care you get these patients who have got complex issues who at times will need the specific skills of a ENT surgeon a neurosurgeon a cardiothoracic surgeon a physician an intense an infectious diseases specialist so we we coordinate we prioritise and in some ways broker these different specialties to see if we can get the best outcome for our patients. And really importantly, we also recognise when a patient is not going to survive a critical illness episode. And so we really have to develop and excel at end-of-life cares, at communication, both with patients and their families and our other um, colleagues, because that's, um, that's really where the sharp end of intensive care is. So like I said, it's variety. There's never a boring day. Rob, you mentioned the, um, the the focus on the family and the communication skills. That must be incredibly difficult at times to be managing and dealing with families who are probably going through some of the worst periods of their life. Absolutely. As I mentioned earlier, my experiences with my with my mum, who I know is not unhappy with me sharing sharing these things. Show that from the other side of the fence, these are these are life changing experiences that stay with you forever, and that's with things going well. And so there's a, it's 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 it can be at times hugely high stakes, and the the care and attention we take as a team to honing and developing our skills in negotiation in conveying bad news in walking and being real partners with the multidisciplinary team and the families in their in taking patients through this really difficult journey could not be underestimated that's that's the hard that's one of the hardest parts of this um of this specialty and doing that well is 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 tough i think in addition to that we operate in areas where we're coming across different cultures and different ways of looking at the world and so it's been a real eye-opener certainly as a as you could probably gather from my accent being originally British and becoming a New Zealander 15 years ago, the things, 
that you realize you don't know it's very humbling and keeps you keeps you grounded but there are some things that are very tough about the specialty rob you you mentioned um that often this is a high stakes game i would imagine particularly with um, you know what's going on in the world at the moment with covid we're hearing a lot of stories about the weight that this is putting on um on clinicians at the at the coalface how do you deal with the the pressure of being responsible for the care of somebody who is so critically ill and potentially could die i think if we take the individual patient i think being part of a strong team that acknowledges that this is not easy, that absolutely acknowledges that you're not meant to know everything and that we can't always achieve what we want to achieve in ICU is incredibly important. It's also really important that we're in a specialty that looks after our well-being and the well-being of those around us. And so I think we are maybe late catching up, but we're certainly acknowledging now that we need to look after each other in intensive care medicine, that the culture of how we deliver healthcare and certainly the culture of learning is ever so important. And so looking after our trainees and our colleagues is is really important. But that is one of the harder aspects. I think you really will, you will see death. You will see um, tragedy in intensive care. And some of the, and you will see, yeah, you'll see sick people left, right, and centre. But as I said earlier, you will see survivors. You will see people that flourish. You will see people that you think had no chance of getting through, um, and did. And so I think one of the biggest lessons I learnt or was taught to me as a junior trainee was beware the self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think the corollary of that is that um, we can, with with a with a realistic but positive attitude, get a lot of people through some really, really tough times. But talking, I think, is the answer to your question, talking to each other and talking to families. Rob, you mentioned earlier that um, the variety is very appealing about intensive care. Are there other things that, that motivate you? What do you find inspiring and enjoyable about your specialty? I think the... the the team and the families that we come across. We come across people from all walks of life. We come across some incredible survivors. We deal with people. I, I personally work in Middlemore Hospital in South Auckland where we provide a national um, burn service and take, off, take care of half of the country's spinal cord injury patients. And although that's a relatively niche area in intensive care, we, 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 we take people through grief but we also see some incredible stories of of survival many of our colleagues have come from overseas many of our colleagues have gone through unimaginable difficulties in getting to where they are and as you've mentioned earlier when we see the the what 2020 and has thrown up for us and our colleagues in the uk you can see that that really it's we are at, at the sharp end so i, I do we, we get strength from each other and increasingly we're becoming a global community and thriving as a result. But there's no getting away from the fact that this is a tough specialty. In what ways, Rob, what are the things that, um, that challenge you, that drive you nuts about your specialty? Are there things that, um, that you find irritating, I guess? Well, I think it, it, it reminds you of your own mortality and it depends on how you perceive that. There will be times when it's a bit scary there will be times when you 
on the reverse of that, take huge pleasure from the fact that you can go home and I'm lucky enough to have a loving family at home. And so you, I've, I don't take life for granted. I don't take health for granted and I don't take, I try not to take my family for granted, but they may disagree. But what I'm saying is that it gives you a richness of life when you see what other poor people have to have to go through. What do I find irritating? Well, you know, I'm, I'm becoming a grumpy old man um, gradually, so I find all sorts of things irritating. But within our specialty, sometimes if I'm, if I'm, if I'm feeling particularly crotchety, I, I get grumpy about the fact that um, we can sometimes be seen as there's a, there's a huge unmet need and there's a huge unmet want. And so it can be very frustrating know, knowing that you may have a very limited number of intensive care beds and intensive care resources at your disposal and that there's an overwhelming need for, for those resources. And while it seems ridiculous to say that from New Zealand when the UK is going through what it is, that does produce a potential moral distress and a, and a, and a discomfort. Also, there are people, everybody is going to die at some stage, and there are patients with end-stage multi-system illnesses that are not going to be fixed by intensive care therapies. And so putting a patient through a prolonged, protracted intensive care stay in lieu of a well-coordinated, goals, realistic goals of care discussion is, is probably not best for the patients either. But that's not to say we resent referrals. I just think it's... that. There is a, there is an inherent frustration um, when you can't be all things to all people. But you know, I think education um, being part of the solution is, is 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 the thing for that. What else? It is it is not a nine to five or eight till four specialty. It takes a toll. You will be um, you will be nocturnal. You will not necessarily be coin operated. So um, you know you you will. You will, you will need to be there at three in the morning for your patients and for your trainees. And there's different, method, different models of working between Australia, New Zealand and the rest of the world. Some people do a week on, on other people do a day on. It's, um, there's very, much variability between um, the amount of time you'll spend on the clinical floor. But that's, that, that does take its toll. So this isn't for somebody who I think wants to dip in. But having said that, there is absolute commitment um, certainly where I am and from our college and from our specialty, that this should be a specialty that is inclusive, that includes people who are part-time workers, includes parents, includes women. Um, we are not going to be the specialty that we want to be by being a um, non-inclusive, segregated group of people. And we're, We've got a long way to go, but we are, as, you know, certainly in our department, committed to, to that but there's there's frustrations at the fact that we've not always it's not always been like that but i wonder if that's across across medicine rob you talked a little bit earlier about uh a differential between clinical time and non-clinical time what do intensivists do in their non-clinical time and as an extension of that what other pathways are there for intensivists um to to split their time between various things can you subspecialize for example or go into research what types of activities can people branch into oh the, the the world really is your oyster the variety of patients that we get allow you to subspecialize in the entire breadth of 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 medicine and again it depends on where you work 
from a clinical perspective, as I say, you could choose to become the, you could end up being the, the authority on spinal cords or bur- injuries or, or burns or in cardiothoracic intensive care or ECMO. So there's a lot of clinical expertise to be gained from that. From a non-clinical perspective, again, there are things that need doing within an intensive care which will lend themselves to a specific group of interests. We need supervisors of training. We need people to provide engaging, forward-thinking, educational support. We need people to continue and take up the baton of the very high-quality research that we have going on in this part of the world. We've led the world in the research through the ANZIX Clinical Trials Group for many years and I think we're going to need we're going to need people that have those sorts of skills. There are, as I said, intensive care is about communication and being representative within the hospital on a lot of committees, on planning, on liaison, on being that gap, on on, on plugging that gap. For example, between the emergency department, and the anaesthesia department, these are these are things that need to happen within a hospital. Outside of a hospital, then we have we have intensive care planning, which was often been off the radar, but 2020 has put us firmly on the radar. So advocating regionally for your trainees is is one aspect. Um, being involved with the uh, a professional society, ours is called ANZIX, or the college, um, which is basically to do with training and accreditation and standards. That's my interest, as you've probably got from my bio. Um, that's an opportunity. There are the Australian Medical Association, New Zealand Medical Association, involvement with um, unions, for example, over here, the New Zealand um, Senior Doctors Union. These are, these are not unimportant roles. Um, and that's just within medicine. And intensive care specialists, as I say, develop a huge set of skills of coordinators and brokers of care. And I'm sure even outside of medicine, there are, there are skills that we can take elsewhere. So that... Like I said, the world is your oyster in in this specialty. Rob, obviously, over the last twenty years, the the um, the specialty has changed. It's not the same as it was back at the start of uh, this century. Yep. With your role in intensive care and in the college, where do you see the specialty evolving to in twenty years' time? When people listening to this podcast may be becoming the specialists of the future. It's a it's a tricky question to answer, isn't it? I, I think when it, whenever anyone's asked to predict the future, they they get it hideously wrong. One thing that I can confidently say is that as a new specialty, we are on that part of the slope where our our rate of change is huge. the The knowledge and attitudes that you needed to excel as an intensive care specialist in nineteen eighty five is a very different set of knowledge, skills and attitudes that you needed in 1995, 2005 and now as we move forward. So I can say that I think our specialist will, I'd like to think our specialty will get more inclusive. It's probably going to get more diverse. I wonder if we're going to be looking after lesser sick patients, but more complicated patients as the rest of medicine possibly super specializes. Now, some people might find that less attractive, but I think it's a reality that we're, that we are looking after more and more HDU style patients. Um, So I think things are going to change and that we'll probably look after more patients. They're going to be more complex. The, the fact that they, they may not go on to, to, you know, they, they may not fit into easy, you know, easy subspecialty brackets going going forward. I think that the pandemic has shown us that we're going to be increasingly relevant and that we may have to branch out into areas where we're not able to provide intensive care, but where we're able to work towards um, 
uh, goals of therapy discussions for patients where we can inform, get a little bit more involved out in the wider outpatient areas, um, understand more about ICU patient outcomes, see if there are things, you know, I, I suspect we're going to branch out into the outpatient arena. You never know, we may even branch out into the community, um, not necessarily providing care in the community, but it's very difficult to have an informed discussion about whether your you or a loved one is going to benefit from an intensive care stay when the first time you're faced with it is when you're unconscious in an ED resus. So I think that's, you know, that if you ask me to put my hat on one thing, I'd say we're going to probably need to break down the walls even further in intensive care and get out there a bit more. Finally, Rob, can you, for those who are interested in this as a specialty and are considering doing training in intensive care, can you just briefly describe what the training pathway is in Australia and New Zealand? Absolutely. So I think that um, there are two main routes that people take into intensive care. They, like me, rotate into ICU as part of another training program and decide that they either like it more or want to add. Um, so you probably would already have got onto a training program for medicine or for surgery, uh, for medicine, surgery possibly, but more usually ED or anaesthesia. And I think that um, the, the route there would be to speak to the local supervisor of training and to, to get relevant geographic, uh, geographically and time-based relevant information because each, different, e each place is very different. Each city and region has got nuances that you can't translate necessarily. And there's politics. There's always politics. Um, the other route really to intensive care is to say that as a relatively junior person I really want to do intensive care you may have been through as a medical student you may have a um, friends or relatives who have done intensive care and I think that's becoming even more common and my my advice would be to seek out some intensive care specialists go and have go and pay the unit a visit early go and find who the right people to talk to are and just get a feeling there are junior jobs going in intensive care in New Zealand there's SHO they're called SHO jobs over in Australia there's some RMO jobs senior RMO jobs where you can without having to commit get, get a job in the ICU where you can it's going to be at a relatively junior level but you're going to see what life as a registrar and a consultant is like um, so I'd say they are the two two routes but we're go onto the college website cicm.org.au and you will see an overview of the training program, an overview of the selection of, of what our selection requirements are. Um, do it. Let your fingers do the walking. Let go and let your mouth do the talking. Go and go and find some intensive care specialists to talk to. And um, and there's a, there's a whole bunch of information out there. Rob Bevan, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast and sharing your insights into what it's like being an intensivist. That is my pleasure, Todd. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. For more great interviews just like this, visit our website at www.oslocommunity.com.